Longtime partnership between the uh, station here, WCCU Radio, and the Star Tribune editorial board. John Rash, always here. DJ Tice joins him today. Both gentlemen are on the John Schuster Coldwall Banker Hotline. Hello to both of you, John. I will start with you. OPEC today said it will slash oil production by 2 million barrels per day, the biggest cut since the start of the pandemic. This obviously leads to concern about higher gas prices, the political implications with the midterms just coming up. The Biden administration called it short-sighted, saying it will hurt low- and middle-income countries already struggling. How much of this is on Joe Biden and the administration? The president months ago flew over to Saudi Arabia like seemingly every president does, kisses the ring, puts aside the atrocities which have been reported about MBS and other leaders from Saudi Arabia. Candidate Biden was extremely critical of MBS and Saudi Arabia, but as president, trying to make sure as as much oil would be available, he went over, and in the end, he didn't get what he wanted. Legitimate criticism at Joe Biden, is that fair? Or is this beyond the control of most presidents? Legitimate criticism, not just politically, but geopolitically, in terms of heading over to Riyadh and fist-bumping Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince and the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, after he had been directly implicated by our government in the death and dismemberment of an American um, resident, Jamal Khashoggi. And that was the wrong thing for President Biden to do. And as you rightfully point out, it didn't pay off in terms of the oil price dividends that he had hoped as well. That being said, OPEC, and I think it's really important to note here, Russia is acting in concert with what OPEC is doing as well, is almost always going to act in their own self-interest. They look at a situation where they can constrict supply, increase price, and yes, it has a direct economic and indeed political impact here in America and relatively wealthier Western nations, but it can be devastating for nations within the region of Saudi Arabia, let alone the global south of you know, South America, Africa, portions of Southwest Asia. So this is something that really hurts the world. And while President Biden certainly didn't stop it from happening, it's much more motivated by their own self-interest than something the president didn't do. So, Doug, um, I think it looks really bad. You're dealing with Saudi Arabia and Russia, and we've watched other presidents fail in this area also. But the lowering of gas prices over the last few months, and we can debate how much credit Biden gets, credit and blame, but it has helped his polling numbers. So the same thing to you. How much is on Biden? And what role might this play in kind of diffusing some of the momentum the Democrats have picked up over the last few months? Yeah, well, we have to distinguish between how much credit or blame a president deserves and then how much they get. Uh, the reality is presidents do not command the economic wins as much as we uh, pretend that they do and, and kind of assume that they do. 
but the reality here that is very difficult for Biden is that he is so assiduously touted his ability to you know negotiate wonders uh, around the mm-hmm. world, and of course yep. he made the very highly publicized trip over there and. Uh, uh, genuflected, uh, and uh, it was all going to be resolved because of his astounding charms. Um, having done that, it's very hard now for him to explain that he he can't really control these things. So I think it is going to hurt him. And as you say, uh, the diminishing of gas prices has had a lot to do with the little bit of, of bounce that Democrats have had these recent months. You know, not because all prices have declined, but gas prices are about the most visible ones we have with, the you know, the price posted every day in numbers as big as a screen door outside every gas station. So people really notice that, and it, it eased a little bit uh, the anxiety about uh, inflation. Well, that can, that can change just as quickly in the other direction and probably will. Doug, let's talk about the uh, governor's race. Let's talk both candidates. Let's talk Tim Walls. Feeding Our Future happens. Andy Luger has the press conference. Many questions are asked. Governor Walls comes out trying to provide some explanation. Is critical of the judge. The judge comes back at him. There's some waffling. He made himself briefly available to answer, I think, one or two questions on the day he was getting his booster. And outside of that, Governor Walls is just running the kind of the Rose Garden ceremony where he's not making himself available outside of campaign spots, and he's not answering these questions. This is such a different approach. I go back, like both you guys do, Congressman Walls. You could get a hold of him anytime. When he was running for the office the first year or two, while governor, he made himself available. I think the public should care. Let's add the, the the two debates, right? The first debate, Farm Fest, wasn't really a debate. I think people, even supporters of Tim Walsh, should say, what's going on? Why aren't you around to answer more questions, relevant questions, including on $250 million worth of fraud, which federal money, federal investigation, but it happened under the watch of Governor Walls. Well, I don't know how much I can add to that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Tim Walls used to be what we call in the press unavoidable for comment. Uh, and uh, that has completely changed. Uh, it's obviously a strategic decision, and it's not hard to understand why. He's yep. ahead by all all evidence in the uh, uh, in the polls. He has the basic advantage of statewide races, uh, having a pro democratic dynamic for many years uh, in Minnesota. And there's another factor here that I think uh, is often overlooked: is that Tim Waltz really isn't that great a communicator. You know, he loves to hear himself talk, but he's one of the few. Uh, and I think the the reality is that that message has been delivered to him, and at least to the extent that by making himself more available, especially on no-win issues like feeding our future, uh, and in debating, even though Jensen, uh, Scott Jensen is also not a great charismatic campaigner by any stretch, uh, but even so, he's got more to lose than to gain. Uh, it's more risky than it is, than it is an opportunity, and you know he's made that calculation. Uh, 
you know, whether it really is going to hurt him, whether people are going to feel that he's denying the public a chance to really hear the uh, issues explored, I don't know. Uh, I I do think that he should be more available and he should answer questions, especially on these issues of the mishandling of public dollars. Uh, but I haven't had a chance to say that to him. We haven't heard from him in a long time. Nope. So I'll work. Scott Jensen in this, because I thought uh, DJ gave a great answer, John. So you have this vacuum. I agree with them 100%. I know you do, too, that this is strategy by Walls. So you now have Scott Jensen, who continues to come up with unforced errors in a race where I think a lot of us believe a Republican should be right in the middle of this race, and potentially win, whether it's his comments about the Holocaust, some of the comments of COVID and ivermectin, the twisting and turning on abortion, where it was a key issue when he was pursuing the endorsement. Now, all of a sudden, it's not on the ballot when we know that Scott Jensen is governor compared to Tim Walls. They will take a very different approach. And then the other day, he falls for uh, something that has been on the Internet and has shown to be false over and over again, that we've got litter boxes in classrooms. And he's still campaigning for his base, John. I don't, he, does, does Scott Jensen forget he's already won the endorsement? He now needs to get independents to come out and vote for him. It, it is a head-shaking situation for me when I look at Jensen and say, where is discipline and stop campaigning to the further right of the Republican Party? Well, ultimately, any candidate is responsible for his or her message and his or her race and his or her governance. But when you talk about a campaign, it's not one individual. And what this particular episode really points out to me is there is no one deputized within the Jensen campaign who has the foresight or fortitude to be able to go up to the candidate and say, you should not talk about this. This is a hoax. This is wrong. You should be talking about how we're going to compete, not just with South Dakota, but South Korea and where we're going to take this state and how we're indeed you know, going to make it the most competitive and the best place to live in America, if not the world. They are way off message with issues like this. And it does beg the question, particularly because of some of his previous comments, as you mentioned, with ivermectin, some of the COVID response, the comparisons to the Holocaust, of what he actually believes. And it's as worrisome to most voters, regardless of what party you're in, if he believes that this is actually happening or if he doesn't believe it's happening regarding the litter boxes in classrooms and the Internet hoax where nearly anyone who had heard about this prior first would have immediately been suspicious and highly doubtful and dismissive of it. But in almost every news characterization of it, it was immediately debunked within that story. So is, does he actually believe this? And thus, where is he getting his information? Or is he acting so cynically regarding his base that he knows that this is not true, but he campaigns on it as an applause line with a Republican electorate and both are deeply disappointing, deeply off message and 
deeply destabilizing, not just to his campaign, but the entire Republican ticket, whom you mentioned, should be more competitive in this race in a in a increasingly toss-up state. Gentlemen, enjoyed it. We'll uh, talk again. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank Thank you. Thanks, Chad. DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board.